Hello everyone and welcome to a mobile edition of Rob's video blog. Um, it's been a little under a year, maybe about six, seven, eight, nine months. I'm not sure exactly. I haven't really looked. Um, when I last posted, <clears throat> been incredibly busy. My daughter was born. She just turned, uh, she just turned one year old uh, a couple weeks ago. Totally fantastic. I am super excited, super pumped, so happy. Uh, she's a really good kid. We had a little rough patch there. She had some pretty bad eczema, but uh, we've gotten uh, figured something out. It's working out pretty well for us. My uh, wife, props to my wife. She is like the best mother ever. I'm so happy for her, so excited for her, and uh, really, 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 really just happy in general. So last we spoke, um, there wasn't too much craziness going on. Um, since then, we've had some uh, pretty big things happen. We've had an election. Uh, Donald Trump is now the uh, president-elect. Um, and that has created some significant, uh, I guess people would say, division in the country. People have very strong opinions about things, which is, which is good. Uh, but I'm not going to talk specifically about that. Uh, I just want to talk about a couple things in general uh, that I had been thinking about. Um, the first one is, what exactly is a country? Um, from a geographic standpoint, uh, from a geography standpoint, you know, a country is a portion of land bounded by particular borders, right? So that's, you know, from a strictly uh, uh, geographic standpoint, that's what, uh, that's what it is. Actually, though, my, I can hear my geography, I can hear my... Uh, Australian geography professor screaming on the top of his lungs, no, that's not all that geography is. Geography is also, you know, the study of the people and the culture and all the different things within those borders and what have you, and that's true. But I'm just talking about, so maybe uh, in reference to land mass and an atlas, a, uh, a country, you know, is just a geographic region uh, bounded by some, uh, some borders. Um, but what really is a country. What is a country? Uh, a country is essentially an idea, right? A country is uh, no more real than, um, uh, let's see, what would be a good example? A country is no more, no more real than just any, any old idea, you know? Um, you can't touch an idea, you can express an idea, an idea um, means something, it represents something, it categorizes real things, um, but it's, uh, it's not, you, you can't touch it, you can't feel it, you can't burn it, you can't break it down. I could touch the ground, I could touch the land, but, uh, you know, if I, if, I, if I pick up a handful of dirt, nobody would say, well, I hold the United States in my hand. Of course not, you'd say you hold some dirt in your hand. Um, so then that begs the question, what really is a country? So for me, um, and I don't mean to be relativistic about it when I say for me, but my understanding um, from what I've read and what I have thought about and what I've heard um, from uh, a number of people. And I think it's a pretty, pretty decent um, definition. A country is a group of people who share a common culture and set of laws and government within a geographic region. So that, to me... And that, I think, is a pretty decent definition of a country. Um, I think if you look at all the different types of countries, I think that that encapsulates, uh, encapsulates what's it, what it is. 
And why is this important? You know, people, um, I think people lose sight of, of what a country is, what our country is, what other countries are. Um, and they replace it with something different and think it's still the same thing. I know that sounds kind of vague, but what am I, what am I, Rob, what are you really getting at? What I'm really getting at is, you know, the United States is a great country. There are a lot of things that I love about our country. So maybe it's easier for me to explain what I'm getting at by, by telling maybe what I am really getting at is uh, telling you the things that I love about our country and the things I like about our country and the things that I don't like about our country. So one of the first things that I love about our country is our constitution. And our, yes, our constitution and the Declaration of Independence and all these things. And what is the constitution and the Declaration of Independence and all that kind of stuff? Well, it's, you know, it's part of our history. It's how the country was formed. And the constitution, obviously, is the law of the country, the supreme law of, of the United States. But where did the Constitution and Declaration of Independence and all these uh, revolutionary writings come from? Well, they were a manifestation of a number of uh, economic and political uh, ideas, ideologies, philosophies um, that had built up through Western, that were discovered, um, invented, explored, um, put into action in what I will term as Western civilization, the Greco-Roman, Judeo-Christian um, tradition. And that's really, really important. That's really, really important. Um, and paramount to these things, as you know, living in the United States is, you know, um, the right to free speech. Um, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, I mean, that's and you can get very technical as to what these means, but I think most people really understand what what at the heart at the heart these things uh, these things truly mean. Um, equality under the law, another thing that I absolutely positively love about our country. Now, in recent days, and by recent days, I mean probably since the founding, um, equality under the law is a phenomenal idea. It is, in my opinion, the only moral idea. Um, when it comes to imposing uh, a set of laws on people, everybody has to be subject to those laws. You make a rule, everybody is subject to those rules equally under the law. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how poor or rich you are. Everyone is subject to those laws. Um, and recently we've seen with you know the bailouts of the big banks and big businesses and GM... Uh, um, and with tons and tons and tons and tons of congressional leaders and military leaders and rich people who deliberately flout the law, who ignore the law, who do whatever they want to do, um, they're not held responsible, or when they are held responsible, they get next to zero sentencing uh, for their crimes. And uh, the part about that that irritates me the most, too, is that the media is so unbelievably complicit. And not just complicit in it. I mean, they are, they are probably the main reason why, these, why uh, these people get away with this kind of stuff, because they cover it up. They either don't report on it or they cover it up. Um, I mean, for example, you know, I read an article the other day, a number of articles, um, that there was something like two, two or 5,000 people in the United States military 
that were suspected of having child porn or being involved in pedophilia. Now, these are not, you know, this is not jaywalking. This is not, you know, I mean, these are serious accusations. Now, hopefully the person and the people and whomever, whatever department or whoever is making these accusations is taking it seriously and they're not just kind of throwing these things out there because they are very, very serious accusations. But supposedly something like 5,000 people were like implicated and needed to be investigated and all this kind of stuff. As far as I understand it, like maybe 100 or 200 people were investigated and I don't even know that anybody was ever punished for what happened. I, I, I mean, it was like it, it, the story kind of half came out that there was all these people that were potentially involved in this thing and it just went away. There was no massive investigation. There was no conclusion that came to it. Just boop, just fell off the face of the map. And again, I lay that at the feet of the media, the mainstream media, because the average person, again, is busy with their lives and all that kind of stuff. That's the point of the media. It's their job to make sure that the truth gets out there, that people are informed, that people know what is going on, especially in a country as large as the United States. So rule of law, something I absolutely positively like. Listen, you cannot have, you cannot have a functioning democracy if all the people in that democracy or in that country um, are not subject to the same rules. You can't. You just absolutely cannot. It's not a country. It's not a democracy. It's not a republic. It's complete tyranny. It's rule of men, not laws. It's, it's complete garbage. So that's the first thing. And Western civilization, very, very big on equality under the law. Uh, equality for individuals, rights, women's rights, universal suffrage, these sorts of things. Now, it took a while for Western civilization to come to that, uh, to come to this sort of uh, conclusion that all peoples should be... Uh... Okay, let me bring it back to my previous point. If you're going to have equality under the law, everyone is subject to the same laws, and everybody has to have the same rights. You can't have people who have rights and others who don't have rights, but they're all subject to the same penalties if they break laws. No, no, no. Equality under the law not only means... You can't do X, Y, and Z. Everybody can't do X, Y, and Z. But it also means the rights that are protected under the law are protected for everybody. Okay? Um, so that's very important. And again, you know, it took Western civilization a while to get there, but they got there. And we can be critical for the long time it took to get there. But understand, understand that Western civilization and the Western values, the Judeo-Christian, Greco-Roman values... They were the first ones to get there and spread these values. The United States and Western countries were the first countries to allow women to vote. They were the first countries to abolish slavery, strangely enough. Everybody always wants to uh, kick the British and, and the United States in the teeth for colonization and uh, you know, uh, slavery and all that kind of stuff. Slavery has been going on since the beginning of time. Asians own slaves. You know, Middle Easterners own slaves, Africans own slaves, Europeans own slaves, uh, even the Native Americans and the Aztecs and the Incas, they all own slaves. Everybody owns slaves. Slavery is not exclusive to Western civilization. It's not exclusive to America. Um, it's all, it was all, literally all over the planet, all through time, all people um, at one point or another were enslaved. And it was actually, uh, you know, Western civilization who actually led the charge to abolish slavery. 
um, and, and implement equal freedoms for everyone. So those are the things that I love about our country, the United States, that I love about Western civilization. I mean, it's, I mean, I mean, equality under the law and equal rights for everyone is probably the biggest, um, probably the biggest, most important value that a society or a country could have. If you don't have that, I mean, I, nobody wants to live there. That's, that's for darn sure. Um, so those are the things that I like. The things that I don't like about our country are hmm. see here's the only problem when I'm driving and I have to prepare like a little list and stick it to my dashboard I kind of lose my train of thought and because I'm paying attention to driving I'm you know I mean listen I can talk and I can talk about what I want to talk and pay attention to driving it's I mean I do it every morning um but when I lose my train of thought, I can't, I can't dig deep into the, uh, the depths of my brain to, to pull out what I, was trying to, uh, what I was trying to remember. So I need to write that kind of stuff down. Um, oh, so perhaps the second most important thing and valuable to me and the thing that I admire about the United States and the whole of Western civilization is the ability for self-criticism. The ability for self-criticism. We look at ourselves, we look at our country, we look at our uh, culture, and we high-five ourselves and say, hey, you know, the United States is probably the best place in the world to live. It is the most tolerant, the most... Um, accepting, socially accepting country in the world. If you're a minority, if you're gay, if you're just not uh, the average, it is the best place in the world to live, hands down, I think. Um, so that's one of the things that, that's really amazing about America. But even with that said, we are probably, the United States and most of Western civilization, you see a lot of this going on in Europe too, we are also the most critical of ourselves, which is a good thing. You grow and you become a better person and you refine your morality, you refine the important things in your life by examining it, by self-examination and self-criticism. Um, that's how Western civilization abolished slavery. That's how Western civilization um, gave women the right to vote um, and that sort of thing by self-criticizing, by looking at themselves and saying, what are we doing? Is this right? Is this wrong? Not just saying, ah, well, it's, uh, you know, 2,000 years of, uh, two, three, four, five thousand years of tradition, and it's written in a holy book by our deity, so you know what? He says it's true, and that's all that matters. No, of course not, you know. I mean, Western civilization has, is deeply, deeply rooted, has deep religious uh, roots, don't get me wrong. Um, but it is the ability to self-criticize and to examine the traditions and the religious roots that we have that has allowed Western civilization to produce the most fair, the most equal, um, the most tolerant societies on the planet. The danger of that is, and I feel we've definitely gotten to this point, is when you over-self-analyze and you over self-criticize. I mean, people know this in their personal lives. 
you know, in order to be successful, you have to be confident. You have to believe that whatever you set out to do, that you can do it. And then you have to go out and work hard and actually do it. It's like um, going to the gym. You know, if you're going to get back in shape and you're going to go to the gym, you got to be mentally focused. You got to believe, I can do this. I can get up in the morning. I can go to the gym every day. I can eat well. I can get myself back into shape and I can get myself in a healthy lifestyle. Now, if every time you woke up to go to the gym, or every time you got out of the gym, you were self-criticizing, you were critiquing, you were saying, yeah, well, you know, you kind of dogged that last set. Yeah, well, you know, you, 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 you snuck in that snack last Tuesday. Ah, you know, you missed the gym on Wednesday. But, you know, you do that enough times, you put so much doubt in your own mind that you just set yourself up for failure, that you're never going to succeed at what you want to do, and it's actually detrimental to you. That you forget all the good things that you've done, you forget all the progress that you've made, and it really crushes you, and it's, uh, and it's debilitating. And I think as a culture and a society, the United States and the whole of Western civilization, while self-criticism is how we progress, an excess amount of self-criticism is completely debilitating. It is so utterly and completely debilitating. And if you turn on the news, if you read the, if you read the news, if you read the newspaper, if you go on social media, all you see is criticism. Criticism, criticism of other people, criticism of ourselves, criticism of our, our culture, of our country, of our government, just self-criticism. And self-criticism is fine as long as you hold the same standard externally. You know, if you're going to criticize yourself for a shortcoming, well, you damn well better criticize somebody else for that same um, shortcoming. Or at least you have to, you have to hold the criticism in reference to something, right? So when somebody says, you know, well, eating, uh, you know, cotton candy is bad for you, okay? Well, that's not a absolute statement. It's bad for you in comparison to what? In comparison to eating broccoli, yes, probably is. Uh, in comparison to eating motor oil, no. Cotton candy is significantly more healthy than you eating motor oil. If you drank motor oil, you would probably die. Um, eating cotton candy will not immediately kill you. If you eat enough of it over a period of time, it probably will lead to your death. Um, so we have to keep in mind when we criticize things or when we critique things, it has to be in reference to our contemporaries, right? There's an ideal, um, there's an ideal that we have, an ideal situation, an ideal norm that we're shooting for, right? When you go in the gym, you know, you have this ideal picture of what you want yourself to look like and how you want to feel. You want to look like this amazing sculptured figure out of the muscle magazine, right? You want to look fantastic and you want to feel great. You want to be energetic all the time. This is your ideal, okay? But if you go in the gym every day working out and you, you are not that ideal, perfect image of yourself, and you constantly criticize yourself because of that, again, it's completely debilitating and it's not helpful. It's going to put you, it's probably going to put you going towards, uh, in the opposite direction. But if you go in there and you compare yourself to your former self, you will see the incremental progress and see that you're moving in the right direction, that things are getting better, that you're getting closer to your ideal image. And if you compare yourself to your contemporaries around you, you know, well, you know, hey, I'm in the gym. I might not look great, I might not feel the way that I want to feel right now, but I'm in the gym. How many people are not, don't even go to the gym? How many people don't have a diet? How many people don't eat healthy, right? So you have to compare yourself to your contemporaries to, to, to better yourself and to give yourself 
uh, motivation and confidence. And at the same time, while you're at the gym, you maybe compare yourself to the to the old man who comes in that extra day that you're not. And you say, man, compared to that old man who's older than me, that guy who's older than me, he's in here an extra day than I am. That's fantastic. And maybe you shoot to be more like him. But the idea that we would constantly criticize our culture and our country and our government compared to this ideal that doesn't exist anywhere is completely insane. We shoot for that. We understand that that's the end goal. But we have to, we have to live in a reality with our contemporaries. It's like when people compare historical figures. This was going on in Princeton University recently. Um, the students there were protesting or they had asked the president to rename the library. I think the library was like the Woodrow Wilson Library because Woodrow Wilson apparently was... Um, was a racist. Apparently, he was, or he was, a, he was a segregationist, um, which is a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing. I mean, objectively, bad thing. Okay, but we can't compare. Woodrow Wilson was president fifty years ago, sixty years ago, seventy years ago. We we can't. You can't compare him to 2012, to 2016. You can't compare him to 1999, 1980, 1970. You have to compare him to his contemporaries in the time. You know? Was he the pinnacle of morality at that time? No. Was he a complete scoundrel at that time? No, of course not. He was kind of somewhere in the middle on that particular issue. So you have to, you have to compare people and you have to criticize them based on their contemporaries. You can't you can't criticize and compare people across generations. And you see people try to do it with sports all the time, too. Well, who's better, LeBron James or Michael Jordan? LeBron James or Michael Jordan? You can do all the analysis and comparison you, you run. But the reality of this situation is you can't compare the two. It's not a fair comparison. No matter what kind of metrics you try to get garner and put together, you're, you're never going to be able to compare them. They had different teammates. They had different opposition. Just the, the entire, I mean, the rules have changed since Michael Jordan has played, you know? So the rules of the game have completely changed. So we have to keep in mind as a country, as a society, that self-criticism is good. That is how we make progress and we should always self-criticize. However, at the same time, we need to keep a perspective as to where we are in relation to our contemporaries and where we are in relation to the ideal. And we also have to recognize where we are the best, where we have done phenomenal things and take credit for those things and celebrate those things. Because if all we do is criticize and criticize and criticize and criticize and criticize compared to this ideal norm, and we don't look outward, well, how are we compared to everybody else? Well, how are we compared to five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 100 years ago? Um, it's gonna be completely debilitating and we'll actually, we will actually go backwards in our progress. We will not move forward as a culture, as a society, as a people, as a civilization, as a country. So that's, uh, that's just sometimes just one of the observations uh, that I have. And I, and I can tell you from a personal standpoint, I have a tendency, I'm very self-critical. People might not think that, but I am extraordinarily uh, self-critical. And I don't, I'm not quite sure uh, what that stems from. Um, I think growing up as a kid, I was always raised to kind of um, be cognizant of how my actions and how my thoughts and how my words impacted other people and to realize that uh, you don't know everything you know 
the more I learn and the more I know, the more humble I feel because it just shows me how little I know in particular areas, you know? They say, you don't know what you don't know. Well, that's, that's extraordinarily true. But the more that you learn, the more that you think, the, more the, the, the deeper that you dig, the more you think about things, the more you grow mentally, emotionally, the more you realize how ignorant you were previously. The smartest people in the world will be some of the most humble and truly humble, not, not topically humble. You know, really, really and truly humble. And they're also the people that will be the most confident in the areas in which they know that they are competent. And this is where people misjudge um, or mischaracterize and misjudge extraordinarily competent people. People who are extraordinarily competent in particular areas will come off, can even come off as arrogant, but it's because they're completely, completely confident in their area of expertise. So people see that and say, oh, well, you know, this guy's arrogant or this guy's full of himself or this guy thinks he knows everything. Well, in that particular area, he's just confident because he's done so much work, he's done so much study, and maybe he is an expert in that area. Now, the danger is when somebody who is a physicist, who is an absolute expert at physics, then goes to dive into sociology and then has strong opinions and is, and is outspoken about sociology, but is certainly not an expert, has certainly not read a lot in sociology and that sort of thing, and they, they there's the, there's the opportunity to dilute yourself when you're an expert in one area or you're good at something in one area to think that you're now good at all these other things. You're not. And uh, that's not something that I've become uh, incredibly aware of. Um, so I'm not, so I, I, I am a very, very self-critical person and very often to me, very often I can, um, I can paralyze myself with excess self-criticism. It happens at work occasionally. Um, and I think, I think it's kind of a, uh, I think the reason why it happens is a good thing for me. I think it's because I do interact with a lot of really, really smart people, especially at my job. Um, so when you interact with people who are more knowledgeable, are smarter, or just have more experience in a particular area, it can make you feel insecure and uncomfortable and very self-critical. But again... You know, I, I often have to tell myself, compare apples to apples, compare apples to apples, compare yourself to a contemporary. Somebody who's been in my industry for 40 years, yeah, they better be significantly smarter than me. They better have more experience. If they're not, then they're not doing a very good job. Or they, they never really grew in their job or in their industry. Um, so that's, uh, that's just something personally uh, for me. I have to make sure that, I, uh, that I'm comparing myself to my contemporaries, that I'm comparing, myself, that I'm comparing apples to apples uh, when I do my self-criticism. And that's not to shoot low. That's not to shoot low. You know, if your contemporaries are lazy or your contemporaries um, are not putting in the work or your contemporaries are not informed um, and you compare yourself to them, um, you're going to look great. But at the same time, you know, you got to go a little bit up, a little bit low, and, uh, and really, really think about how you compare yourself uh, to your ideal and, uh, and your contemporaries.